Hi there, welcome to Two Men Talking. I'm James Wilson. And I'm Sean Purcell. And the idea of this podcast is to review books trending in key business leaders, best books they've read lists, and hopefully can inspire to make both your work and personal life a little bit better. Very much. I like that. So this week, we're looking at the second part of a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And Cal Newport is an American computer scientist. He's written six books and he's got a, a blog called Study Hacks. And it, it's, a, it's a really great book. So last week, we looked at part one, Sean, of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fa- it's a really is a really nice, tightly written book. Part one was putting forward the case for Deep Work. The book broken into two bits. So it's about our ability to focus without distraction action on cognitively demanding tasks and he put forward the case that deep work's really valuable but that deep work's pretty rare as well because of the way we live our lives and as well as it being valuable it also has meaningful meaning we can get a lot out of living by adopting deep work practices that's the yeah. summation of the first half yeah very much very much so so part two which we're going to talk about today is his his rules and he's got four rules rule one which is work deeply rule two embrace boredom rule three quit social media and rule four drain the shallows some some quite interesting ideas there so r- rule one on, on page 95 sean did you have any initial kind of thoughts on well he, he he kind of kicked it off with a, a hypothetical architectural work environment which was designed so we can get as much value as possible out of our yeah. brains where it was conducive to deep work but you know as it was mentioned in the first half it, it's pretty hard to do because our colleagues can't be neglected when they send us an email we must respond quickly and really we shouldn't be doing that we should be getting into a kind of deep work state to produce really great results but sadly we don't do that so I, I quite like the name of this art- architectural place I can do it if I can say the eudaimonia <laughs> machine yeah yeah i don't know where he got the name from it must mean something and well i think a, you, you oh, it does say in the book it's a, it's a state in which you're achieving your full human potential so the wow. eudaimonia that must be the term if i've pronounced it right as well yeah. it's a bit like when you're exercising is it v max when you're at your v max you right, can't go yeah, any higher yeah, yeah. so i suppose this is v max for the brain uh, so yeah. that's what that's the aspiration and it talks about how maybe we can achieve that aspiration okay. so the so first one he talked about i think on page 100 was add routines and rituals to your life the point of this is in life when we're trying to do stuff we often need willpower to do it and we only have a finite amount of willpower which gets worn out and if we can create a habit or a routine i think the best example is getting up in the morning and brushing your teeth people don't need to think about brushing their teeth they just do it and this some of the work i do in professional education i've done just done some research for the acca and written some articles on this and yeah that's how study to get people to study that once they can get the habit of studying they can become quite effective at it and it's the same in doing deep work okay so on page 101 he's talking about your depth philosophy and he's he says there's basically two different approaches so on on page 101 there's a guy called donald nuff he's a computer scientist and he says what i do takes hours of studying and uninterruptible uninterruptible concentration and then the the other so that's one approach and this other guy called brian chapel basically just gets up at five o'clock every morning 
and works till half seven every day. And yeah. Cal Newport says both of these approaches are appropriate, but you've got to choose which one you want. Yeah. And he, he, what he's saying there is you, you need to choose a philosophy that fits your specific circumstances as a mismatch can derail your deep work habit before it has a chance to solidify. I like that. The other but, thing about that, Donald Nuth, was... Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. I think we've said, you can tell they're not kind of maybe, they're, they're professors and maybe not commercial salespeople. Yeah. He's been a happy man ever since January the 1st, 1990, when he no longer had an email address. And he said he'd used email since 1975, so about 15 years. And he thought that was enough for a lifetime. And basically, he, he said, uh, email's wonderful for people whose role in life is to be on top of things, but not for me. My role is to be on the bottom of things. What I yeah. do takes hours of studying and uninterruptible concentration. Yeah. So yes, I get his point, but I think that might not be for everyone. No, no, I get that. And there's a couple more examples out there. There's this science fiction writer called Neil Stevenson. Yeah. He said, uh, if if I organise my life in such a way, I get lots of long, consecutive, uninterrupted time chunks. I can write novels, but as those chunks get separated and fragmented, my productivity as a no- novelist drops spectacularly. Yeah. So these people are kind of locking themselves away, really, aren't they? Yeah, and I think the argument there was that, and the neuroscientists had booked that up, uh, proved that, is that if you take 10 minutes out, you're not losing 10 minutes. You've got this like residual concentration lag that you can't pick up so quickly. So he's kind of an advocate. And, and we were saying last time, I think about does multitasking really work? And I'm not yeah. sure it does using all the evidence here. So I like it on page 106. He kind of develops this approach now. What he's calling it, and another approach is the bimodal philosophy of deep working, which to me seems a bit more practical because what he's saying there is you, you, you need to do chunks of deep work but then deal with shallow work as well and I think his example there is Carl Jung who he again mentions in the first half and and Carl Jung liked to lock himself away in in Switzerland but he also used to go back to Zurich and uh, he was running a busy clinic at the same time and he's seen patients till late at night and he he liked to go to the coffee houses of Zurich as well so he was doing a lot of deep work in one sense but also he was getting himself involved in things and I suppose that's the bimodal yeah, yeah, it was. It, 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 he, he, when he did his deep work, it was inter- uninterrupted, like locked away in a castle, wasn't it? The other quote, I think, in the chapter I quite liked yeah. was from Seinfeld, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the oh, guy yeah. behind the Seinfeld show. Yeah. And, you know, he, he finds it really hard writing jokes. And what he does, he, he when he's written it, he tries to write a joke every day. And once he's written that joke, he can put a cross on the calendar. Yeah. And again, that's creating habits. Yeah. It's like a, it, I think uh, it's like what alcoholics do, where they count the days since they last had a drink you know so you sit down in your AA meeting and says hello I'm Sean Purcell it's now 573 days since I last had a drink or since I last took care of how's that going yeah it's not bad But, but it's all about chains, about not breaking the chain. Yeah. Um, that, and that's, a, that's a, apparently, according to psychologists, a very powerful method yeah. of committing to things because you don't want to break the chain yeah. once you start it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's quite big in like fitness and writer. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're trying to write a novel, you're supposed to write um, 500 words a day or something like that, I think. Isn't yeah. it? So on page 114, he's talking about the journalistic philosophy of deep work scheduling. And he's, he's actually mentioned a guy called Walter Isaacson who wrote... He wrote the biography of Steve Jobs, which I really liked. Okay. And yeah, he's it really interesting. But this Walter Isaacson guy could basically work anywhere he was trained he said at um, the bottom of page 115 he's saying journalists are trained to shift into writing mode on a moment's notice 
yeah interesting um, so that was another way of doing it as well I think, yeah I think and, a lot it, of people might not be able to do that no it's, it comes with training i think we'll talk later it requires a bit of training like the your brain muscle can yeah. be done but a journalist has obviously got a lot of experience of how to switch on and switch off yeah yeah so then um, he's coming on to ritualizing on 117 quite uh, yeah so that, that was he's talking about a famous author switching from deep to shallow and, and how it, to do that you need to you need to practice it really it's not something that is coming natural and, and on, on the ritualizing what were you going to say about the ritualizing well just that he mentions people having notebooks in certain places and having stuff on the wall and just being quite organized about it and then he talks a little bit about charles darwin and how okay. charles darwin used to like to go for a walk and whatever yeah yeah so it, again it just if you've got rituals and habits you don't need willpower and willpower but we've only got so much gas in the tank on the willpower yeah, yeah. and once it's used that then that's it and so if you can avoid using that gas by it just happens it, it's better to do i like uh, the, the other like ritualization the location yeah. so it's a bit again this can happen in i know you can tell he's been a, a study hack advisor on his blog yeah, yeah. because you know if you're studying you, or if you're working you go and sit in the boardroom and that's that's deep time but then you do your office door is open or you're in the office that's sort of chat time but yeah. it, it makes it very clear and i think it sends a message to your brain when you go and sit on the red chair it's time to work and what you know when you go and sit on the blue chair it's maybe free time yeah so i quite like on on, on when page one to one he starts to talk about jk rowling yeah he's writing the last harry possible yeah um, she couldn't get stuff done at home, so she went to stay in a, in a very expensive five-star uh, hotel called the Balmoral in Edinburgh. She, she did that because it forced her to do the work. Cal Newport calls this the grand gesture. So you, you, you investing in something makes you want to focus a bit more. Yeah, yeah, you've put your money on it, so you want to get the most out of it. I mean, there was lots of people quoted doing that. Dan Pink and others, they yeah. bought expensive writing cabins to put into yeah. their garden. Yeah. I don't think I'd fit a writing happen in my garden but uh that was there for justifying them to or making a lot i've spent all this cash i've got to like get some return on it and then there's another guy peter shankman who oh, bought yeah. a four thousand business class ticket to tokyo and back just so he couldn't be interrupted no distractions and he's just spent four grand so he's got to get some return on investment of this four grand and he, he basically you know he's locked in a seat with nothing in front of him to be honest if i'm in i'm watching films and drinking wine so that's yeah. not really good for me that's what he did and he achieved a lot by doing that so yeah interesting so the next section of the book is on relationship working and collaboration which I, I didn't really float my boat a lot of this really you know. you know what I didn't really make many notes on that part of the book so similarly didn't float my boat I don't, I don't think that was the point of the book really but he's talking about working with other people and hub and spoke stuff what he did well I suppose what was interesting on page 133 he mentions this concept of the whiteboard effect and what he's saying is if, if you do work with someone else you need to kind of bounce off each other and one person says one thing and then they both consider it and then yeah collaborate together so I quite I quite like that I agree with the sentiment but I didn't really thought that fitted into the rest of the book sentiment yeah it was like a little anecdotal bit in the middle there I mean yeah. I agree I think you know it's much harder being in business on your own than if you've got two trusted partners who each can act as devil's advocate for yeah. your view and you for their view but yeah I didn't think that fitted into work deeply okay. i mean the next thing i thought when he talked about going on to like 138 139 about keeping a, a scoreboard yeah so just being accountable right yeah okay and that's part of the four disciplines of execution yeah that was interesting because you you 
It was written by a guy called, called Clayton Christensen. Yeah, Clayton Christensen oh. is a guy, he's a Harvard professor that is quite a well-known author. And yeah, he, he's a bit like Stephen Covey in the way he um, he has principles of living. I think there are a lot. Of, I think Stephen Covey and Christensen they were both Mormons, and right. there's like ways of living amongst the Mormon religion that they all observe. And it's kind of it's not it's just how to live your life quite well. So you know he would he could, said he could work till midnight, but he he left at six o'clock so he could spend time with his wife and his family, and then spend some time on charity work. And uh, so all all quite good ways to live yeah. your life. But but he, he was accountable to that structured way of living. He yeah, didn't, he didn't let it drag on. So then he he moves on to one forty two to this idea of being lazy being lazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and using inactivity to recharge yourself and refocus yeah and, and that's again backed up by science where you can wire your brain up to some MRI scanner and you know turn your computer off and, and talked about the conscious and the unconscious mind and power of downtime yeah. downtime helps recharge the energy needed to work deeply mm. so you know if you're going to work 16 hours a day well it's great but I you know I know some of these people who wear it as a badge of honor some of these corporate finance lawyers and says oh yeah we work 72 hours straight on that and he's oh well, is that good i'd say you know if, if a doctor said to me he's going to operate one of my kids and he's just been wor- working for 72 hours i'd say mate you know go home and have a sleep before you touch my kid yeah it seems okay with these corporate finance lawyers and, yeah. and yet they're doing billion dollar deals on no sleep it it, it can't be it can't be good <laughs> i don't think i don't know how that really complements deep work but it's a bit of a macho thing isn't it yeah. Okay. So, yep. Uh, give yourself time off. So, basically, again, if you're working all the time, you're. I think it goes on to about 148, talking about this fuel tank of uh, motivation, willpower. Yeah. And uh, you, if by having some time off, you replenish it because it gets worn out. Well, uh, and, and I think he gave a scientific evaluation of walking in the country and walking yeah. in a city. And walking in a city, you've got to watch out for taxis running you over and yeah. courier cyclists running you over. But in the country, just listen to the birds. You were yeah. just telling me you've got something for to help you relax James where you put this thing on your head that's oh, yeah. quite an interesting little anecdote here my um I've got I've got my my muse which I can't show you because it's a podcast but yeah I've got this little device that you put around your head and then you, you hook it up to your phone and it reads your brain waves and the, the calmer you're feeling the more birds you hear yeah so, uh, so it's training your brain so you're doing a bit of tra- a brain training basically yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to get yourself into a zen-like state I like to lie on my acupuncture mat and yeah. uh, listen to birds yeah what like Philip Schofield in that We Buy Any Car advert with a goat on. <laughs> Uh, and then at the at the end of this, he talks about the shutdown ritual. Oh, yeah, like this. Yeah, really go on. Tell us about the shutdown ritual. So you, the ritual should ensure that every incomplete task, goal, or project has been reviewed and that for each, you have a confirmed that, that either, one, you have a plan you trust, is, you, you trust for its completion, or two, it's captured in a place where it will be revisited when the time is right. I, I really like that. Yeah. yeah, I did as well because I don't think we all do that. We just like rush out with all loose ends. And I like it's, it's a set phrase he has to say to himself, which is shut down complete. I like that. No, so I that, liked that, it as well. Thought it was good. Dual thing again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's. All, I mean, it's all based on psychological little shortcuts to getting yeah. things done. Really. Next chapter then talked about embracing boredom. Yeah. What, which, uh, what was your take on this one? So he talks about these. He talks about these, these Jewish guys who, who like to kind of memorize and. and 
decipher the Talmud each day. Um, yeah. What he said, his kind of uh, conclusion there is that you've got to have daily mental practice. Yeah, and it's not, it's, that's the, the whole thing about mindfulness. So there's something on Spotify, I think, is, I've forgotten the name of the application. If you just buy a Spotify for one person, you can do this Headspace. I think it's called Headspace, which oh, yeah, is kind yeah. of little thing you do every day. It's a bit like, you know, going for a run every day. Just do a bit of, as well as physical exercise, do a bit of mental exercise. Yeah. And it was basically talking about strengthening your mental muscle on yeah. 157. Oh, so, yeah. you know, to concentrate intensely is a skill that must be trained. Sounds obvious, but a lot of us don't do it. And I think that's when you go and become a monk, they can get their heart rate down to 45 beats a minute or something, can't they? They're really zen-like monks, but it mm-hmm. takes years of meditation to do that. It's a practice thing, so it's have to train your brain, basically. It's, it's a muscle like everybody else or everything else. The next thing I picked up was about 159, where yeah. it said, don't take breaks from distraction, take breaks from focus. And it was basically saying, once you're wired for distraction, you crave it. Yeah, I really like this. Really doesn't like distraction, which I, I completely get. Now he's, he's talking about restricting your access to the internet, isn't he? They say schedule in advance when you'll use the internet and then yeah. avoid it altogether outside those times. Yeah, and he's talking about going, an internet Sabbath, didn't yeah, he? internet Sabbath, yeah. And then he, and, on 162, he's going into, you can even do this if, if your job requires you to use the internet a lot or lots of emails. It's just, it's about blocking. You can block little bits of time, like 15 minutes or whatever, but yeah. it's, again, it goes to that, that thing about, what's the word, disciplining yourself, disciplining. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can do I think I, I definitely recognise some people who adopt these principles because they, they respond to their email at a certain time of the day. Even I'm conditioned to people responding <laughs> quickly, but, but why? I, I don't need it urgently. And once you actually understand that's how people respond, you probably arrange your own behaviour accordingly. Yeah, okay. But he, basically, we got, he talks about, I think on 164, that scheduling internet use at home as well as work can improve your concentration um, yeah. training. And, and we, you know, a bit worried about the, the, the youth of today, as we were saying, like a couple yeah. of old fellas, with the kids glued to their smartphone yeah. throughout evenings and we I mean, even at concerts, yeah, I see it. It's like, are oh, you not watching the concert? They're, they're more interested in sharing the concert than watching it. And then after the other thing I thought was quite good was where it, on 166, work like Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah, like this. Who, who I didn't realise. He was a pretty busy person, you know. He was a boxer, a wrestler, a bodybuilder, yeah. a poetry reader, and I had a lifelong obsession with naturalism. I didn't know any of that. And then he ran all kinds of extracurricular stuff at Harvard, but then most people wouldn't have any time to study, but he managed to because he, he, he developed a really good regime and he'd begin his schedule by considering eight hours from 8.30 to 4.30 and he'd remove the time spent in classes, his athletic training and everything else. And then what was left, he, they had to add value. Yeah. So there was no fluff time. It was boom. He was on it. it. Yeah. No, I think I said, I've, I've seen this with some like mums in the school playground with my kids. And I think yeah. the adage is, if you want to get something done, find a busy person <laughs> because a busy person is normally really capable of giving a great 15 minutes to something rather than someone who's not busy yeah. just not trained in that mindset yeah very much so 169 he, he moves on to this idea of meditating productively and what he's saying there is that he, he's talking about he, he used to walk a lot and he yes. used to use his time walking to, to go through problems he was trying to solve and yeah yeah he had which I, I like yeah I, I like that he 
he, he engineered meditation time, didn't he? So he, he didn't go on the subway or he didn't go in the car. He walked and that gave him time to think about it. So, yeah, if, if you're doing exercise or you you can put your brain calming headphones on when you're cooking or something, you know, it, it, you can you multitask if it's something you, you're aware of what you're doing. So productive meditation he was talking about. And, and I think that's a bit linked to what we said about mindfulness, isn't it? Yeah. And then the, the bit I quite liked after that, that I've, I've read the books he refers to where he talks about on page 174 memorizing a deck of cards memorizing a deck of cards okay. and he, he quotes a book Moonwalking with Einstein which was a bestseller in 2011 and basically it was a guy who showed that anybody we've all got the same brains as everyone else and the way in which we can get the most out of them is practice these techniques yeah. and the guy Robert Winston does a bit of this as well when he's done yeah. some BBC series people who memorize things memorize three decks of cards in 60 seconds but they have a, a, a pretty structured technique where they put all the cards in different parts of each room in their house and yeah. we already you know they really focus on every little nuance in their front room in their hallway so you already know where those places are and it's just a it's a little brain hack to remember things your brain is a muscle that can be toned and structured how you want it yeah i like that one no i thought it was good that that kind of follows on till the end of that chapter really yeah. about memory techniques and how they work i like the bit i like this last sentence of that chapter two it says your ability to concentrate is only as strong as your commitment to train to, to train yeah. concentration I mean, yeah exactly good really i mean you know it definitely not many books make me change i've i will well we'll, we'll keep talking and we'll maybe reflect on what we've done in the few days since reading this book so it, ah. it has had an impact on us yeah definitely okay so rule three is quit social media i, I quite like this one I, no I, I did as well we, we we there's almost i think in the first section we talked about last week i think where employees were encouraged to tweet and it's like well yeah. what are you tweeting about you know is that is that helping you achieve a better job in what you're employed to do and mm. I don't think it really was so yeah he's, he's he basically just hacks your brain and yeah. we all get it when we see an email and we, yeah. we get drawn into that email and our concentration's shot yeah. so yeah. I, I like the way he's, he's on, on page 183 yeah he talks about at the top he talks about social media as a network going back to that idea of taking a break from these network tools that might be available to you so as he's as he's going through he he's talks about people who've given up social media completely and then he says about halfway down 184 he says there is a middle ground that you don't have to give up everything and then he, he says what he's what you need to understand first is, is the current default decision making process deployed by most internet users and the what's he he's sort of saying here that people can take an any benefit mindset and what he means by that is the any benefit approach to network tool selection is you're justified in using a network tool if you can identify any possible benefit to its use or anything you might possibly miss out on if you don't use it yeah and i thought that was really interesting because yeah. he's talking about historically craftspeople had access to tools but they didn't use any they didn't just use any tool they'd use the tools that were useful for them and he <laughs> says i know you like this but he says he's talking about the internet and how as he said in part one how just because it's to do with the internet it's a good thing and that might not necessarily be the case and he said if you if you don't go along with things you can be seen as a luddite curmudgeon yeah i did like that bit because i didn't know americans knew the word Luddite. Yeah. Luddites were people from Huddersfield <laughs> when the Industrial Revolution was going on and they, they broke into cotton mills at night and smashed the machines up. It's like a classic way of not how to manage change because they these mill owners, there would be a mill and there would be a town and everyone in the town worked in the mill and they would bring a machine under the cover of darkness and cover a tarpaulin in the backyard and everyone says, oh, it's going to take our jobs away. So there was a, a bunch of Huddersfield t- 
terrorists, for want of a better word, who would break in with sledgehammers and smash it all up. And that was a Luddite. And I thought, gosh, does that word actually got outside of the UK? But obviously it has. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Very rich and... I really like the next bit on page 188. Was that about where he talks about uh, don't get a hay baler? Yeah. Yeah, so he's basically talking about using time efficiently. And I was saying to James, probably a bit of a cheapskate sometimes, and I'm, I'm doing a bit of painting and decorating. It takes me all day to do it. And I could get a painter and decorator through people I know for 100 quid a day that's really good and I'm thinking I'm spending a day and a half for what is an opportunity cost of 100 quid what am yeah. I playing at yeah. I should be using that time to earn more than 100 quid so that's what he's basically saying use your time efficiently yeah. and he was talking about wasn't he keeping cows or horses or something I can't remember well, he was keeping guy, yeah, the farmer was he said yeah, he was growing his own hay and he said look you know it takes a lot of time you have to bale it you have to yeah. store it just yeah. buy hay off the shelf and yeah. use the time he used the time to keep chickens where he could make more money on chickens than yeah. growing hay and baling it and yeah. also he got he got fertilizer out of the chickens for his fields which again was was a positive outcome yeah. as opposed to not having one so mm-hmm. only do things which work for you in a positive way I think so I quite point. like the definition of 191 he said the craftsman's approach to tool selection identify the core factors that determine success and happiness in your professional personal life adopt a tool only if it positively impacts on these factors substantial sorry only if it's positive impacts substantially outweigh its negative impact yeah I thought that was really good. You know, no, I thought it was great. And it, it's about prioritizing things in life, isn't it, really? Yeah. About what's important and is what you're doing relevant to that. And I, I, some, some work I do with finance people, they produce all these reports and I'll say to them, so this is your strategy. This is your outcome. So how does that report help it? And yeah. he says, well, it doesn't really. He says, well, well, what are you spending time on that report for? Yeah. It's a waste of time. Doing it because that's what you've always done. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of very similar to what the craftsman approach to tool selection is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great anecdote. But the next thing is 194, 195, yeah. not using Twitter because does it actually link to your strategic outcomes? And if it doesn't, or well, what are you using it for? So it, it, again, it was quitting social media. If you must use social media, does it actually complement where you want to go and where you want to be? And if it doesn't, what you what you're wasting time on it for? Because it is quite energy sapping having do, to do, do you all tweet that. A lot, sure? Not really. I have an account and I get tweets from people. I, I get tweets from all kinds of weird people like, well, you don't want to know. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know why I've been profiled that way. I don't get tweets from like business people. I get tweets from Colleen Rooney and rubbish like that. It's like, where have I got a tweet from Colleen Rooney? Someone's been hacking you, maybe. <laughs> Okay. I don't quite understand it, but it's kind of, I, I do it because everyone has their way of communicating. And in my maybe naive way, I think you might just have to put your message out on multiple media because not everyone's on the same media. So yeah. that's my thought process, whether that's correct or not. I've not done any analytics mm. with regards to it, but maybe I should. Okay. Where are we going next? Well, I then whizzed off to about page 200, where it, again, it's backing up what we've said. He, he was talking about the Pareto principle, the 80 20 in goal achievement. 80% of what we achieve is often the result of 20% of the cause. Yeah. You know, 80% of sales are from 20% of your customers. Mm-hmm. So why are you not spending most of your time on those 20% customers? I like that. Yeah. He talked about on page 209, not to use the internet to entertain yourself. Yeah. He, he just thought that's not a great thing to do. I like what he says about the social media. He said, these social media services, they're just products developed by private companies, funded lavishly, marketed carefully, and designed ultimately to capture their sell your personal information and attention to advertisers. I mean, they're quite clever. You see these things like, you wouldn't believe what Ray Clements looks like now. Yeah. And you think, well, I wonder what he does look like now. So you, you click on it and, and I, I give up. I never get to Ray Clements because I, I give up after about 12 photographs with all clever arrows all on the screen, which are 
obviously little mind to take you down a rabbit hole to some advertising space. Quite clever the way they do it. If you read anything like The Times or The Guardian or, or anything online, they've got all these little bits all around it, which obviously they make money on. Okay. So, yeah, rubbish. So also, another thing on that was put more thought. This is going on to 2.12. Don't waste your time on the internet. If you must go, as you said earlier, go at a certain time. But he says, put more thought into your leisure time to avoid yeah. addictive websites, structured right. hobbies, set programs for reading. And yeah. I mean, one thing this podcast has made me do is actually put time in to read, yeah. which I, I think I've benefited from. I think it's a good thing. I have enjoyed it, but I think had we not had this commitment, because I haven't got a target and yeah. something in the diary, I would have just kicked it into the long grass and done it sometime. So again, the whole habit thing is not a bad thing to embrace. So that was it really in that chapter. If you want to eliminate the addictive pull of the entertainment sites, give your brain a quality alternative. Not only will this preserve your ability to resist distraction and concentrate, but you might even fulfill Arnold Bennett's ambitious goal of experiencing, perhaps for the first time, what it means to live and not just exist. Yeah. And, you know, if we make time for great hobbies, you can get a lot of benefit out of that. Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah, I thought it was a great quote at the end. Okay, so rule four is drain the shallows. Drain the shallows, yes. It was talking about here how someone moved from a five to a four-day week. People who do base camp. Yeah, it used to be called 37 Signals. It's now yeah. called base camp. And everyone said, well, you can't do that. You'll just be rushing. But actually, you weren't rushing because once people have less time to do things, they become stingy with their time. Yeah. And when you have fewer hours, you spend them more wisely. It's a bit like what the JK Rowling thing was. When you're spending a grand on a hotel room, I want to get the most out of it. Yeah. These people are just as productive, but they only work for four days as opposed to five. To highlight to the bottom of 217, that company, Basecamp, gave its employees the entire month of June off to work deeply on their own projects. Yeah. And then at the end of the month, they held a pitch day when the employees pitched the ideas that they'd been working on. And they actually um, came up with two new projects. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. No, I thought it was amazing because there's something similar in 3M where they do 20% of their revenue must come from products that weren't a year old and they give them a day a week to think about it. And I think Google, you only work four days on your job at Google, you work another day on something else. But what was interesting here was in in Google and in 3M, it's just one day. Here they gave them a whole month to think. You know, if you give someone a concentrated month, it might sound indulgent, but actually they got quite a lot out of it. So drain the shallows. It's about get rid of shallow work. And shallow work is all surfing the internet, dealing with emails, all that nonsense meetings. And I thought on page 221, there was a great quote. And he said, treat shallow work with suspicion because its damage is often vastly underestimated and its importance vastly overestimated. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I did. And and then he goes on about how to rid ourselves of shallow work. But both James and I have actually done this. He says, block every 30 minutes of your day. I think I've blocked every hour of my day. (laughs) I'm halfway there. It has made me change. Quite inspirational, really. And and that's just after reading the book a few days ago. Yeah, I I liked it. And he talks about how if you do it in the morning, then inevitably you're going to get pushed off course. But you keep changing the schedule to accommodate any changes in the day. Yeah, so if it goes from an hour to 50 minutes, you squeeze more juice out of that 50 minutes. And I imagine if you get accomplished at that, you'll become even better at at squeezing the juice out of it. You know, that's a bit like Kaizen where they improve processes. And you work your guts out and you've done it. And it's just, God, don't want to do that again. And they say, well, yeah, you do. You've got to get 10% off next year. And it's like, well, how can I do that? Well, if you get into that mindset, you never achieve it. So yeah, great. I thought it was really good. And it basically, he then goes following that argument on 227 is that without structure, it's easy to allow your time to devolve into the shallows, emails, social media, web surfing. You know, there's almost a business idea there for someone to buy an hour of internet a day and you've got to get them
the most out of it in, in that hour. <laughs> I know that's the whole point of the internet, but it would be quite beneficial, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. On 228, talking about quantifying the depth of every activity. What he's saying is the advantage to scheduling your day is that you can determine how much time you're actually spending in shallow activities. Yeah. And then he goes through a couple of examples. They didn't really float my boat. He's talking about emails and PowerPoint presentations and stuff, isn't he? Yeah. 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 But again, I think we were talking about outsourcing stuff. I mean, that's along the lines of outsourcing. You take some of the things that aren't adding much value off your plate and yeah. uh, outsource it to someone to do it for you. I suppose like you're painting and decorating, but mm. also things in the workplace. I liked it on 232. He says, ask your boss for a shallow work budget. Yeah. I'd like to see that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> How much time can I have for dossing around yeah. on pointless, needless activities? <laughs> you wouldn't get much, would you? <laughs> but it's tolerated because you've got to respond to your email in five minutes or whatever else you're, you're not busy yeah. the other thing I really liked which was again part of the focus of, of you less you sometimes get more done is on page 236 where he says finish right. work by 530 yeah. and how people just become more productive it's a bit like you cut your coat by the cloth you have yeah. so if you well, don't get a large cloth you can still make a good coat but you know what resonated with me here was that Stephen Covey thing about start with the end in mind yes exactly quite similar isn't it it's similar but it's like what all good businesses should do you should have uh, really articulated your strategy where you want to go and everything you do should be in that strategic direction and if it's not well don't do it it goes a bit now a bit too much about professors I think I'm not sure it would be that commercially acceptable I think on 242 he talked about becoming hard to reach and just the tyranny of email and this is what Cal Newport does I mean it might be interpreted in different ways 243 says on his email response he goes if you have an offer opportunity or introduction that might make my life more interesting email me at this address for the reason stated above I'll only respond to those proposals that are a good match for my schedule and interests <laughs> so it's like oh, you know, get you mate who do you think you are he called it a sender filter Yeah. so he asks people rather than just to say you know what do you think the correspondents have to really filter what they want to say before communicating with them yeah. it saves you a lot of time there's one company I do some work with they, they copy everyone in on every email there must be like 30 names and I'm, look, I don't even know who some of these names are yeah. and it, it's, my, it's my message I'm talking about it it's like all those people are going to open that email it takes all of those people five minutes it's just yeah. a waste of time I liked on uh, 246 there's a guy what's his name Clay Herbert Clay Herbert and he, <laughs> he says on his website he doesn't have his email address first of all to contact him you must consult a frequently asked questions section to make yeah. sure the question not already been answered and then if you make it past that you've then got to fill out a survey that allows him to further screen you and then <laughs> if you get past that um, he actually charges you a small fee that you've got to pay him before you can send him an email <laughs> Um, he must be he must have something good to give old Clay Herbert but good luck to him I like that then he had a few ideas on email strategies on you don't do email ping pong you respond and say yes can you do 10 o'clock Friday morning boom it's very cut and dry or or I I can do 10 o'clock Friday morning or apologies I can only then do Tuesday at 9 or else I can't do and it puts the ball in their court and if they really want to speak to you that's what they'll do so he talked about was it process centric responses rather than just oh well when are you free and when are you free blah 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 and then I think 255 was the final thing that got it for me which was the Tim Ferriss quote I love this yeah and he says develop the habit of letting small bad things happen if you don't you'll never find time for life changing big things so what do you think about that one James so he's talking there about sometimes maybe not replying to emails you might hack someone off that you haven't replied to their email but you're just cracking on with with life and not getting involved in in stuff yeah yeah 
mean, I really like Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I like Tim Ferriss. Well, just, you know, he speaks a lot of sense and obviously that's what he does and he's done all right as a result of that behaviour. Yeah, okay. So, in conclusion, I don't know, did you, I, I didn't make any, what, do you, do you think anything about the conclusion? I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't read the conclusion. That's very honest of you. He talks a bit about how Bill Gates settled Microsoft. Bill Gates was so obsessed with writing this bit of code. He was writing basic, I think, that he used to collapse at his desk and he'd wake up again two hours later and just carry on. And like he created a billion dollar industry in less than a term because he just got the thing done. So that was good. But even Bill Gates would have those weeks, wouldn't he? He has a week away where he yeah. he switches off from everything to re- recharge his brain. So despite doing that crazy work, he does allow his brain to be recharged by taking a week off and, and reading 20 books or whatever he does. I'm pleasantly supplied. I've had that book on my shelf, meaning to read it, right. and I haven't read it. And you said, let's read that one because it just happened to be on my shelf as I looked across. Mm-hmm. And fantastic. I really, enjoy- I-, I hope the other books we're going to talk about are as influential as that. I think we showed each other we have been putting our days into hours. Yeah. I've been trying to get off the internet yeah. slowly. I might have to go for some counseling on that one, ah. but I'm trying. <laughs> I deleted Facebook and Instagram off my phone. Did you? Yeah. And Twitter. Actually, on Twitter. Wow. So there you go. Read the book. Uh, I think, you know, we won't say that about every book. Uh, Well, I hope we do, but I don't imagine we will. It was pretty inspiring, I would say, James. And I would say it's a good read. It's a good read, whoever you are in life. A lot of life is just drained away into meaningless nonsense that we, we can free up lots of time. It's an interesting one. If you had a year to live, would you do half of the things? you do you probably wouldn't yeah. people who have a year to live live fantastic lives in that year why can't we live a life like that for the whole of our lives yeah. and that's kind of a, a lot of the things in here will help you do that that yeah, doesn't sound so. too profound yeah no I like that and it might be a book that you'd want to go back to every, yeah, definitely. every year or something yeah. so I, I was pleased about that one so work. Yeah, read it enjoyed it okay nice, nice. chatting James alright nice to see you <laughs> all see the you. best mate right, bye bye bye, bye.